Hello, I'm Gui. I'm a fifth. And I'm Long. And you're listening to Copy Overflow, a monthly podcast about software development. The topic this time around is actually pull requests. So I kind of suggested the topic because during that time, there was this article from Jessica Crow, I believe. Yes, Jessica Crow. Hopefully I didn't butcher her name. So she wrote a, a blog post called those pesky pull request reviews talking about hey what is this pull request about what's a good way to do pull request what actually pull request is supposed to do etc etc i'll probably link the blog post in the show notes so everybody can know what we're talking about but that kind of inspired me to to bring up this topic as well so one thing i did to prepare for this topic was to find out okay where does this pull request thing come from right what's the history and origin of pull requests and I couldn't find it. <laughs> so I even went to version control software to see where it comes from. Like I, I looked to Git and looked to SVN, SVN being subversion. And I don't think SVN has this concept of pull request, at least as far as I'm aware, because based on my search, I, again, I could be totally wrong. I don't have working experience with SVN, but I did notice that when people are saying, look, if you want to merge code, just issue patches, they kind of don't do branches. I think that's what SVN does. So I kind of think pull request comes from git i just did a quick search on the origin of the name the terminology itself pull request seems like someone said it could originate from the git command like git request dash pull so they just like reverse it maybe there is such command oh okay <laughs> <laughs> well what do you know there's always something new to learn about git every day like, there's always some obscure commands that people rarely use but it's there yeah only when the time you face an issue then you have magic of git how do i solve this yeah git reflog come to the rescue and then forgot about git reflog again <laughs> yeah i did i did when you did i remember i've used this command before google again oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm definitely gonna try that what was it git request pull yeah, yeah oh okay what does it do so something about asking your upstream to pull your changes to their tree. So that could be the origin, like asking for a pull. Right, okay. So we briefly talked about this before we started recording, right? And then I was I was kind of emphasizing on the fact that Git has branches. I think a lot of Git's process is to either branch or fork. And then from there, you work on your changes or whatever, and then you will kind of request merge back to the main trunk. So I think that's why this pull request exist primarily in git because of this notion that you branch out from main you do whatever you need to do and then you kind of switch back but that's assuming you're working on the same repository right i think in this case this request pool you have a upstream that's probably different from a separate git repository i imagine i mean i never use that so i could be wrong Right, as in like it's not the same branch, but a totally different different repository. Like how you do on GitHub, and you want to contribute to an open source, you fork the repo, and then you make a pull request from your repo, not from your branch, which is more common when we work in organizations. That's very confusing actually for me initially because I didn't realize there's a difference. <laughs> I was like, I want to contribute to this. Why when I pull this specific project, I can't like submit a pull request. Oh, I have to like fork it. What's this? <laughs> I was that person for what? A lot of our workflow with Git have been standardized by the use of all these central Git repositories like GitHub or 
GitLab and whatever. A lot of people probably don't know that you can also do Git clone from your own local Git repository and you can also do a Git clone from your own remote server. I think we lack all of that because every time we do Git clone, we do it from a GitHub repository or a GitLab repository or a Bitbucket repository. So we don't know that how it actually works behind the scene. Because sometimes we just learn enough to get our work done, right? We didn't really go into the... It's probably a, a topic for another time. But yeah, pull requests, you were saying. <laughs> yeah, pull requests. <laughs> this slowly turning become to a Git episode. <laughs> so I think for those who are not familiar with pull requests, we tend to, for example, create a separate branch and work on whatever changes we want. For example, fixing the bug, implementing something new or anything, any changes at all. Branch out from the main or someone else's branch or whatever. Then we'll do the changes and then we'll want to merge it back. So this is when we will create something like a pull request. I think GitLab's call it merge requests. Basically, a request to merge code back, right? Merge the branch back to the destination branch. So that's like the, in essence, what the pull request is. As part of that, we will tend to be like, oh, look, I want to merge all these changes into the destination branch, be it main or some other branch, right? Can, as part of that process, you, there'll be a review process as well, right? You can get people to look at your code and saying, hey, all these changes I've done, is it all right to merge it in? Am I introducing any, any new bugs? Am I... I was thinking about linting and stuff like that, but yeah. Is this clean code, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of the process of it. So I think in most in most software development workplaces, this is kind of the flow, I would assume. I guess. I've worked at three companies and that's kind of the general workflow. <laughs> I don't think we can have statistics on this. <laughs> or you know, in some more top-down driven organization, for lack of better words or my vocabulary, you would have to have that one technical lead or someone to review your code changes alone instead of having a couple of other people. And then you merge it to the master branch or main branch, which might be based on the pull request or not. It could be just a git diff and then the team lead say, yes, yeah, you can merge this, then you merge this, yeah. So it's like Gandalf saying, you shall not pass. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> in a way. <laughs> it feels scary because it's a single point of failure, right? Someone is reviewing everybody's pull requests. <laughs> in a way, yeah. I, I don't necessarily recommend that or endorse that, but I know that it, it happens in some organization, which not the organization I would happy to work in. Well, at least, at least they're still using version control. At least it's not like V1, final, 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 final. Don't <laughs> <laughs> <Does it. laughs> You know, we laugh, but maybe some, somewhere someone is listening to this and crying. And we're doing exactly that. <laughs> I've actually interviewed one candidate who's done that, actually. They just zip their source code and pass it through email. So, yeah. <laughs> it's not funny for them. <laughs> It's definitely expected we're going to go on tangents, right? Because this is such like a main thing of our day-to-day -day work as well. So one thing kind of want to gravitate the discussion around is actually pull request comments. For example, long mentioned earlier, there's only one specific person <laughs> reviewing code. Then, okay, I'm, I'm going to use that as a leeway. So how would this, this team lead slash manager give feedback on the code if they like reject it? I don't know, like he would just, he or she would just ask whoever made the code changes to change this or that. So sorry, I was, I was assuming yeah, you're speaking from experience. <laughs> no, <it's not. laughs> I've known people that has that kind of experience. Yeah. 
The thing is, that is a very heavy burden to carry. You have to review everybody's request alone, and right? When it becomes hard, people tend to just don't do it properly. So if you're the only person who's becoming the gatekeeper for this, you will be flooded with requests. Everyone will be asking for your review and kind of cutting short, you might actually not do things properly. That depends on the scale of the project, right? Like maybe it's a small scale project and then it will be fine. Still, I wouldn't encourage that. There's two ways to think about that. Like what Afif mentioned, definitely that scenario could occur, right? There's like oh, so many people pull request adjustment, it's fine. But when things happen, for example, if a merge goes bad, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to term this person the release manager. So this release manager is going to get a lot of flag, right? Because it's like, oh, you approve this change and you're the only one reviewing it. Maybe the knee-jerk reaction to that is you all have to write tests and make sure this and that before I approve. Suddenly the review process gets a lot harder already. And then it's a cycle where like management will be asking, hey, how come feature delivers so slow? Ah? Nah, the release manager take forever to review my code. Ah. <laughs> it's like, you remember the time when things went down? Do you want that again? But yeah, I think that's an extreme case. I won't deny that doesn't happen. As in, there's a possibility that happens. But I, not edge cases. Those are rare cases. <laughs> I'm just remembering... I haven't worked with Long for a while. I mean, not that long, but for a while. And I kind of forgot that Long always does linting pull request comments. <laughs> yeah, I, I sometimes have this OCD. <laughs> Do we have a concrete example? I can't remember like what's the thing that Long will comment about. <laughs> I picked up the habit of ending all my git commits messages with periods because Long commented that on my pull request. I, I don't think to the point that you requested changes for it. You didn't unapprove it, I think, but you were commenting on it. You were picking on it, basically. So it, it developed my habit. Until now, even though I, I'm no longer wait, working wait, with he, him. He, he, men he mentioned it, is it? He specifically mentioned that as a, as a thing? But I think so. I wouldn't have picked it up. I cannot remember, but it is very likely that I actually got it from Long's comment on pull request. I'm sorry. That, that's surprising because I do that as well from Long, but he never commented. It's more like a subconscious thing because I saw like, I would attribute this more to Bitbucket than GitHub because Bitbucket shows the commit messages better <laughs> than GitHub. So there's a page where it shows all the commit messages and when I review Long's pull request, it's like, wow, he actually ends everything with a period. Looks tidy, maybe yeah, I should do that. <laughs> I don't recommend everyone doing that. Not, not exactly a high value work. <laughs> Well, it, it has come to a point where I cannot actually see pull request titles without periods anymore. That's how impactful you have been in my life, Long. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay, we went off the rails again. Yes. <laughs> I mean, everybody would definitely have that one colleague that is particularly annoying when it comes to pull requests. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Long is one. Let's talk about like approval systems. I think that's maybe a place we can dive in, navigate this whole huge pull request thing. Actually, even where I'm working right now, the approval system is a bit fuzzy. You definitely need A approval, but as long as you get A approval, it's fine. You can merge. For me personally, I will kind of see how much change I'm doing. If it's a urgent fix that is small in impact, for example, last week our CI CD broke. I created a branch, I fixed it. I raised a pull request and someone else from another team is like, oh yeah, this fixes the whole CI CD. He approved, I merged. Right? I didn't wait for anybody else. I didn't wait for managers. Maybe there are like some team practices that require everybody to review or some team practices like the example Long mentioned earlier, right? There needs to be a golden approval from a manager. So yeah, maybe we can talk around about this. 
I have something about. I have a way to think about it. Okay, I don't know what's the word, but you have an opinion. <laughs> you have an opinion. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Before we started recording, Long was saying that uh, he didn't have a lot, uh, any comments. Then he was asking us, what's the opposite of opinionated? Then he was saying non-opinionated, and now he has an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that opinion is that the number of approval required should be proportionate to the impact of the changes. Very similar to what you brought up, Gray. If the impact of the code changes is small and is easily reversible, I would say you should go ahead and merge it with one or no approval. No approval? Wow. Yeah, like, let's say you change the two lines of readme, there's no impact at all. Go ahead. All <laughs> right. Oh, right, okay. What if they miss out a, a period? <laughs> Are you gonna comment? Where is the period? <laughs> Don't worry, there will be an annoying guy like me coming out and then come on and, and change it back. <laughs> That's why don't need approval because Long does this, right? Long will refactor the readme and then raise the pull request merge itself. <laughs> Yeah, definitely sounds like what Long will do. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it happens. I'm not sure. I'm not keeping track. But my point is, let's say it's not readme. It's uh, internal CI changes that's not going to break the production. Internal library that's not going to ship to the production immediately. Maybe one approval or something, right? But if it's like a high impact PR, you are doing a migrating of some database stuff, changing the schema that cannot be easily reversed there will be data loss. Those kind of PR, I think, should get more approval in, in that sense. Yeah, that's my opinion on it. <laughs> so I'm kind of assuming that collectively it's better for the team to discuss how many approvals. Yeah. Sounds like sorry points. <laughs> how many approvals is PR? <laughs> what? <laughs> that's the issue I have, right? Even though I have this opinion, I don't, don't really like try to push it out on teams because I don't really have a good framework around you. How do you decide what's a big impact PR, what's a small impact PR, right? I, I think fundamentally it's a gray area where we are allowed to think. It's not like a hard binary rule, like everybody in the team must review and approve such reject or only one is enough. It really depends on the workflow as well. Huh? In my current company, we require half of the team to approve. So right now we have five people. So once we have three approvals, we can merge. My Previous company, we require everyone to review and everything, even though it's like a documentation update for one entry. Yeah, we actually require everyone. But again, because it is low impact, it is okay to take longer, at least. There's no rush. So we, we had an internal wiki that we use. We use Git for the internal wiki. If we make changes to that, according to your opinion, it shouldn't take everyone's approval, right? Uh, yeah, I agree with that in hindsight. Yeah, it doesn't have to wait for everyone to actually merge. But we did do that and it doesn't impact as much because it is a low impact pull request and we can actually just wait for it. It doesn't have to block any release or something. There is a possibility where pull requests can be used as a knowledge sharing. That's why maybe some organizations or some teams do require everybody to review more like because it's knowledge sharing. I think it's only applicable if the boundaries are set correctly. Okay, when I say boundaries is, for example, if you're working on, you're working on a web app, for example. Web app varies in size, right? If you're working on a relatively small, very dedicated web app, or maybe the size of like a microservice, for example, 
you can be more flexible in terms of the people who are reviewing it, how many approvals you require because the domain and the area isn't as huge. But if let's say you're working on a slightly larger monolith and the areas where the team need to cover, for example, they have to cover maybe five or six modules. Like this team is assigned to maintain five or six modules and do features. Then maybe it makes more sense to have more reviews because you might context switch a lot. I'm not bringing the argument of you know, how much a team ought to handle in here, but I think the size of the responsibility and context that the team holds does translate into how many reviewers would be good. Did I face that right? <laughs> Sounds very confusing. Long and stinking. <laughs> So in a way that uh, the number of roles grows or string scales with the team size. This is confusing because when we say team size scale, that means the team responsibility also scale, right? If the team is small and only focus on very specific things, then the responsibility doesn't grow, right? For example, let's take example your team long. Maybe there's like five, six engineers right now. As an example, maybe handling three or four web apps. They're, they're small and specialized, right? They're not huge monoliths that cover a lot of domain. You compare it to Afif's team previously, where it's roughly the same, even less number of engineers, but handling more products. So the responsibility and the context of each engineer is a lot higher, a lot more compared to the engineers on your team. So I think that's where it kind of shows the inverse, right? Just because you have more team members, but your apps are very small and focused doesn't mean you need everybody to review. Whereas in Afi's previous team, there's less people, but they cover more. They have to review because the context is a lot greater. People can't see this, but both Afif and Long are thinking. <laughs> <laughs> if we're just thinking about the knowledge sharing aspect, yeah, I think that makes sense. I wanted to use Long's OCD to dive into annoying comments. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess we can we talk about what are good comments. What's like a good comment to receive, which equals to what's a good comment to give? There's two perspectives, okay, what, what you mentioned. To give and to receive. On the receiving side, I feel like there's always a better comments are those that you can action right away instead of require more planning. Say, we should break these big functions into three functions. That's actionable. Instead of a comment that says, this function is not pure. Okay, which part? Could you tell me? <laughs> right. On the giving side, I would say, I want to go back to the knowledge sharing. I think when someone makes some code changes that's not obvious why it's done that way, I sometimes will be that annoying guy to ask, why is this done? this way. I know it's not a very easy comment to address. Sometimes you need to explain a lot. Still, I feel like, especially in my current environment where everyone has to work on, like, like what you brought up, multiple apps, you need to switch contacts. It's better that things are made easily understandable or at least document in some way. If you don't want to spend time to write a document in a wiki after the PR, document it in the PR itself. When people come back to the PR, they will they'll understand why it's done this way. Or maybe it will trigger the contributor of the PR to think of a better way to make the code more easily understandable. I think that's, that's I don't want to say uh, pros of being the annoying guys, but I, I feel like code should be understandable. Sometimes it's way more important than what people think in the long term. And then the giving side, usually I will try to do the, the GitHub triple code suggestions thing 
I think that's very convenient, easy for people to. Yeah, it's very very useful. I'm quite thankful they added that feature actually, because that's almost all my comments have that now. And I think like you mentioned giving, so when, when I give, that's that's what actionable, right? So I would like hey, maybe this is better. Then I'll give like suggestion and then suggest some code. So I don't go through the motion of checking out the branch, pulling it out, running on my local and see if my recommended code works. I'm not that hardworking, unfortunately, but at least I try to like change it to be a sense where I think this is workable. I also want to go back a bit on the giving comment side. I think the triple dots tactic suggestions thing is good, but there's also certain limitation I sometimes run into about uh, giving uh, concrete actionable comments. Uh, say this part is not tested and then I don't want to write the test for you <laughs> in a way <laughs> and you don't know that there's a certain scenarios about the test that could break or give a false positive it's just that you want to make sure it's tested that's also can be annoying but that's the closest thing that you can come to address that is to make I'm not sure if this is controversial or like enforce a certain test coverage before a PR can merge but that's not always prevent people from test the easiest part and then <laughs> leave out the most critical 20% part untested. Then you can always, each of your PR can have 80% test coverage. Test all the, <laughs> the false positives. When I see like a part not tested or because I usually review tests first, it gives me a clear idea kind of what the code is supposed to do, right? Because testing will write, okay, this is supposed to perform this and auto return this. Okay. Then when I look at the code, I realize oh, like what you mentioned long, uh, there are some parts not tested or maybe there are some values that we want to test as well. So I'll be like, would it, usually I'll comment, would it give us more confidence if we test this and that? Right? Maybe it's already covered by one of the other values already and just I just miss it out because sometimes pull requests are so huge. <laughs> Probably some PR sizing is something we can talk about. I don't know if we want to go back to that article that you were mentioning. I think one of the things that the article mentioned was also about pairing rather than having pull request comments. I definitely wanted to bring it up between synchronous and asynchronous pull request review because I think some of the things that Long mentioned, for example, why are we implementing it this way? Maybe having a synchronous review would help a lot, right? Like jumping straight into a call or, you know, in the good old days, having face-to-face -face tap on the shoulder. Hey, why are you write like this? Ah? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> right? I think that would help a lot rather than like trying trying to pretend to understand what they're trying to do. Because to be frank, you look at the free request, it's like I, I assume that's what they're trying to achieve. And I'm going to phrase my comment in such a way where I think goes with my assumption. But maybe the assumption is totally wrong. Maybe the way they're doing it because there's some limitation that we don't know of. And then it's like we're suggesting this without like checking out the code and running it. We wouldn't know. That's the thing we can talk about. Like, does synchronous pull request make sense? You mean synchronous code review? Because if there's synchronous code review, I mean, there's not going to be a synchronous pull request. Yeah, code review, not pull request. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely makes sense that you review while the code is being written and you have more understanding of the context and stuff. But you also miss out on the documentation part where you're documenting that decision somewhere. Because right now, if you're just pairing between two persons and only those two persons know what's happening, like the argument will grow, oh, you should mock. And mock programming is one whole nother topic that we can discuss. There are a lot of contexts and circumstances in companies around the world that may make pairing hard. For example, my new company. I just joined this company earlier this month. 
The company is based in New York and I'm here in Malaysia. <laughs> There's a 12 hour difference and they don't expect me and I won't be able to afford to work at the same time as them. And we have remote engineers all over the country. We have from Australia to California. So synchronizing this is a bit hard. Like if you want to just do pair programming, you probably can do it for one hour to kind of match everybody's time zone. But then after that, it's just going to be somebody's sleep time. So yeah, it, it won't work for every company and in every situation. So you still need kind of a balance of both. Yeah, I think other than time zone, there's also, I don't know if this is common. During pair programming, I think it's preferable to have, let's say two person, each person drives a session for a bit. If back in the good old day in office, people can just pass the keyboard. But now that we are remote, like if you want to switch the driver, then you have to, I don't know, give remote access or you have to push a code and then have someone pull it and then we switch the share screen. There's a lot of friction around it. I, I feel that that way other than the time zone issue as well. And then like what you mentioned, the knowledge sharing is not happening in, in a team-wide scopes as well. But I also counter argue that using pull requests as a knowledge sharing sometimes don't work that well even if you're documenting down things not that thing back because you would run into cases where people might just approve the pull request and then you can't be sure that they actually read through everything another thing is sometimes we use this argument of this is just countering my own argument i guess so sometimes we say oh we, are, we want to document a decision in the pull request but when it comes a problem around that area we don't actually go back to that request to read what the decision was behind it <laughs> so and we just like always look forward trying to fix the current code and i would argue this also on git commit messages sometimes we say put a lot of things in the git commit messages explain everything so that you know you can refer back to but then in most cases you will actually look forward right so you will try to fix the current code rather than look back yeah this is hard Software engineering is our problem. <laughs> <laughs> I guess humans are hard. La. Humans are hard. I think context is important. So, for example, the lost context you mentioned earlier, Afif, because two people are pairing and probably both of them are aware of the context, but it isn't transferred well. So I think it's a muscle that the team has to build on like documenting context and all. From a personal level, it helps a lot, right? Like for example, let's say I work on like a personal project and I didn't touch it for three months and then I come back to it and like, why did I do this weird thing again? I was like, I'll look through like the pull request or whatever that I documented down. Oh, right. There were limitations around this. Okay. I think in a team you know, with more developers, things are more fluid, right? Because code gets changed, new features get added, bug gets fixed, more bug gets introduced. <laughs> For me, it's more of like the balance of slowing down as well, like knowing all this context matter, let's document it. Because when you give blame, it's like, who write this code? Give blame. Oh, it's me. Why did I do this again? <laughs> right? That, that would help a lot, right? Pull, pulling up the GR ticket, for example, if, if you have commit messages with GR ticket and you pull it up, it's like, oh, right. And if you have the practice to like document things now, and it's like, okay, we implemented it this way because there was a limitation with the third party we're interfacing or there was a limitation with the framework or, you know, we're just writing bad code. <laughs> I think another thing is that Pairing might not be the only mechanism. Maybe I would recommend like an experiment. Everybody just jump on a synchronous 
one hour overlap call like Afifi mentioned like if, if you can align the time zones and align no meeting time <laughs> align the stars <laughs> you can have one hour everybody just jump in okay let's go through each pull request again depending on the team right if the team requires everybody to review then maybe doing like a, a mock review <laughs> it sounds, sounds so bad it's like being judged <laughs> this is my pull request it's like a PhD defense that will help right running this sort of experiment see how the team does it work for the team, right? Even though aligning times might be slightly harder, but having everybody there discussing very straightforward. Uh, this is good. You know, verbally approved. And then it's like, okay, next. <laughs> might be a way. I think sometimes what happens is, or at least what I experience is, in my team, we would pair for a bit, but that doesn't eliminate the pull request. But it does, sometimes that makes the pull request easier because you would have at least two people pair on the ticket that's already aligned on the approach so what left over for the code review side is just the ttpt linting thing you know period at the end of the comment sentence <laughs> i think the thing that's consumed a lot of time in pull requests is when you have to change approach maybe this part of code shouldn't be here or there the whole principle behind the code changes yeah i think that's what described in the article right? you are commenting on something that's already the ship has already sailed, basically. I think that's what the article kind of alludes to, I guess. It's, it's already done, and you're just asking people to scrap everything and do it again. Yeah, that's the problem with this asynchronous pull request. Yeah, and that's what pairing tries to help, where you kind of sync on the implementation, the approach. Because a lot of things we'll only know when we work on it no matter how good a planning when we actually start working on it then we'll know oh, this doesn't work or this approach is a bit weird it's hard to tell again no matter how good of a planning you do you won't know until you're deep in the trenches and actually working on the code so i think that's how like pairing try to solve incidentally this reminds me of uh, another i don't know blog post or article it was written by someone from pivotal because pivotal is one of the more renowned shops that kind of push pair programming i think all they do is pair programming and i think someone wrote this article on like I can't remember the article name, but they wrote on like, how does it feel like pairing all the time? I'll probably try to find it later. We could share it out as well. But yeah, that's another topic for another time. But since we talk a lot about pair programming, it's, it's worth off to bring up. One of the topics around the pull requests is that the time you spend on pull requests and also the motivation factor. People don't usually very get very excited to review code or it could seems like you're taking the whole team to make a small changes to implement the small changes slow things down so i wonder if pair programming actually make things better yeah it'd be interesting to see that what you mentioned just now if all they do is pair programming does it reduce the code review time i think there are research materials that show that pairing helps with code review because if it's not working nobody would recommend it right and pivotal as a company probably won't, won't keep won't keep doing it but having said that having pull requests and doing pair programming is not mutually exclusive right? i think there are scenarios and cases where both are applicable depending on team workflow culture what is the nature of the product they're building maybe if it's like highly highly audited has to be secured kind of software then yeah, pull request makes sense. You need to run a lot of tests. You need to be audited, etc., etc. Yeah, I feel like I say this a lot, but I guess this also applies in this context where pair programming or pull requests, they are tools. You just apply the tools where it makes sense. Use the tool where it makes sense. Yeah, I feel like I say this a lot. <laughs> yeah, you have an opinion, long. 
<laughs> but it's good point. Not not mutually exclusive. Yes, definitely. Anything else we want to bring up before we wrap up? For context, I think a lot of what we discussed are about working within your organization full time jobs, not OSS. I think pull request makes a lot of sense for open source. I guess we can wrap it up. If you have someone annoying like Long on your team that comments on your pull requests, just just implement a linter. That's, that's it. <laughs> yes. I still comments after having a linter. Makes me wonder. You should write a linter that lins somebody's commit message, whether they have periods or not. <laughs> I think I think <laughs> after that, like I want to change team. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give me ideas. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We can wrap this up. Let's see. Wait, wait. We haven't done a pun. We didn't begin with a pun. I'm disappointed. The, do, do you have a pun? <laughs> <laughs> About pull request? I think you're not going to approve it. <laughs> good, good effort, Long. I think, I think that's pretty good. I think that's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Okay, since Long is not going to approve my pull request, <laughs> we can end this podcast now. So follow us on Twitter. We are Copy Overflow. Listen to us on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Uh, anything else? I think that's all. And don't let your copy overflow. <laughs>